You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Crew, this is Mark Hadmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. Today, let's talk about old school fighting weight and also discuss how you measure up. Now, obviously, uh, this offering can be consumed with any of our uh, prior uh, podcasts on uh, conditioning, old school conditioning, particularly one titled Three Old School Principles You Must Know uh, to Unstick Your PT. So you can, you can browse the show and uh, do that or go over our blog, Indigenous Ability. I'll put the links in the, the, the little show notes here and you can go over there and take a look if you choose. But if not, let's go ahead and dig in today's uh, topic of uh, old school fighting weight. And we're gonna, it's, uh, since it covers a little bit of, about the body and you know, biomechanics, biochemistry, it also involves some uh, uh, engineering. Don't worry, this is, I think it's, it's not boring. It's, stay with me, it's really fascinating. So let's talk about uh, performance cars first, performance cars and performance bodies. All right, we're going to start our engines at Le Mans, France, where beginning in 1923, world-class drivers came to test themselves in a 24-hour endurance race. Now, where many race, races are test speed over a course of limited laps, Le Mans heaps, uh, ups the ante and asks for speed, of course, but also endurance of both the car and test the stamina of the flesh and blood piling in that car. I mean, that's 24 hours just at a go, keeping yourself razor-sharp attention. Uh, for any who doubt that performance driving is a physical endeavor, might I suggest enrolling in a rally driving course? Put yourself mid-pack at speed for even a mere 10 laps. I'm going to wager your estimation of the physical demands will change. Anyway, here's the main point. All weight impacts all performance. This is huge, absolutely huge. All weight impacts all performance. Let us turn to an extract from an article from a 1957 issue of True Magazine titled The Man Who Inherited Death. This was penned by Erwin C. Lesner. The article discusses the in-depth preparation for Le Mans by driver Pierre Levet. Quote, the petrol tank was a large problem in Le Mans cars. Regulation says the minimum interval between refueling at 25 laps. It's about uh, 210 miles. Uh, the Talbot, which is a vehicle, had a 40-gallon tank, which gave it a basic range of 300 miles. Levet thought that 330 wouldn't be safer, so a new tank could containing 44 gallons was built. This, in turn, caused an increase in weight. Here's the significant part. Since every ounce might reduce speed by one yard per hour, and the loss of 24 yards could decide the issue, weight had to be saved by the body, that is, by the chassis, unquote. In that little bit of an extract, and I'm going to repeat that mighty, mighty significant portion. Quote, since every ounce might reduce speed by one yard per hour, and the loss of 24 yards could decide the issue. Weight had to be saved by the body, unquote. That's a loss of one yard per hour. That's 24 yards in one day. One ounce could be the tipping point in a 24-hour race. Now, stay with me. Let's expand the timeline of one ounce of overage. If it were possible to drive that car for seven days straight, that is a loss of 168 yards in that race. If we drove it for a year, that is 4.96 miles. Keep in mind, we are talking a mere single ounce. There are 16 ounces in a pound. A pound of weight over optimum results in a loss of 384 yards in a 24-hour period. In short, weight matters. People are shaving ounces to gain this marginal advantage. And it matters, weight just matters, matters, matters. It matters far more than a short-term view assumes. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's a nice racing story, Mark, but does this ounces analogy hold for living organisms? 
Well, it actually does. Let me tell you the story of the incident of the slightly chubby dog. Apologies to Arthur Conan Doyle for that reference there. See, I have a dog. She's a lab mix. Her name is Tussari. Sweetheart. Cowardly hound, but my God, is she a sweet hound. Uh, in December 2022, she weighed 87 pounds. What was, uh, as a pup, a bundle of bounding, frolicking, obsessive ball retrieving energy had, over the course of seven years, devolved to a slower ball retrieval with a bit less obsession about grabbing that ball. Also, we add to it, she's got a noticeable limp after some play sessions. This limp gradually progressed to the point where she could not walk up the stairs on some days. So we decided a, vet, a veterinarian consult was uh, what we should do. We take her in. He looks, yeah, it looks like we're going to have to do some surgery here. So we schedule the surgery. A specialist comes in to do the surgery. He's doing the right, that very same morning, right before they come in the anesthesia. He examines the dog and he says, hey, you know what? Before we do this, uh, let's try this first. Let's cut her weight to 75 pounds. So we leave. So at uh, seven years old, the dog that is, and 87 pounds, she carried 12 pounds above optimum weight, according to the surgeon. Uh, surgeon. As she ages, her chances for injury increase, uh, her speed goes down, and the st uh, stamina force shortens. And so she's pretty much a performance car at this point. He's diagnosing, you know, shaving uh, uh, pounds off of uh, this house. So the dog had been 87 pounds for at least three years. The limp was not persistent. The loss of energy was not persistent. Just when it was present, it was noticeable and clearly detrimental. Now, her weight overage, he explained, was less about the impact of right now than it was, here's what this weight is doing over time by being carried every minute of the day. If we think about it, this is exactly what they're talking about with Le Mans cars. They're talking about, it's less about how it's going to be a week down the road to every single second, which may not seem as formidable at that moment when you examine that second or that minute you're carrying that overage. It's what it is doing over time. So, to forestall a diminishing hip joint, my orthopedic vet uh, offered that for every lost ounce that approaches the optimum weight, her performance should increase, pain should decrease, and odds look better on the longevity table of this sweet hound. So, we uh, dropped her weight in 30 days to the optimum. So, uh, how did that experiment go? Well, the dog is drug-free, uh, we kept $4,900 in the bank, and the dog has returned to spitfire energy, and uh, almost annoyingly so, incessant prompts to play. It's just remarkable. It's two, two different hounds, no surgery, no loss of money, and we just went, drop some weight. And keep in mind, she didn't even look, yeah, I've seen some thick dogs, she just didn't have that look to her. It just uh, dropped it, she's great. This is all resulting from trimming ounces and pounds from the chassis that is her living performance car. Now, it seems what hold for performance cars hold for performance animals. And for those of us who consider ourselves combat athletes or merely humans walking around on the planet subject to the forces of gravity, we, me and you, brothers and sisters, are performance animals. Keep in mind, the game is not one of mere pounds, not even ounces in the long haul of life. Every increase over optimum, well... That is an increased stresses on the overall structure or chassis of our bodies, and it is a decreased efficiencies in the biochemical power plant or fuel injection system that is running our bodies, okay? Now, is this fat shaming? No, nah, no. Nah. We're talking old school thought here. Uh, old schoolers shame all. So th let's think about this. Often today's jacked is a game of increase. I'm talking about Jack. Look how big that guy is right there. And we're talking about that in an enviable sense. This was shamed as well. That is increasing the size of the fuel tank with zero consideration of what the added weight might be doing to the chassis and internal combustion engine as a whole. 
So let's talk about the human fuel tanks of uh, your the, the chassis of your. If we look at uh, athletes of the past, uh, and we're talking about the uh, the turn of the century where we start really getting good uh, photography of the, some of the strong men or the athletes who are turning from the 1800s into the 1900s. We look at the athletes of these or beyond sports, the conditioning of high performing horses of your. We see the ranks populated less by the comic book expectations we encounter today uh, than by a more reserved, more realistic, more well, I'll say it efficient and effective performer. Often it's been said you see these. These guys in the old days walking around in their street clothes, you don't have a clue. And often uh, you, you see lots of the more natural athletes today walking around. Again, you would not have a clue. It's not until you really you know, make them strip down and you go, oh, shit, well, then there you go. Uh, I can tell that now. So the bigger w- was not the way of the going. Yes, there were in those old days very large, strong men, and that was admired. And uh, Louis Sear comes to mind as our stand in the icon of this class. But most of these plus-sized plus humans were, well, exactly that, a bit in the plus size. Not exactly aesthetic wonders, but one not need be an aesthetic wonder to be effective. No. If we look to the ranks of physical culture and or the combat sports of boxing and wrestling, we're going to allow three exemplary individuals to stand in for what was the average so-called large size of each endeavor. And keep in mind, these stand-ins I'm getting ready to use for examples, they're not outliers, all right? These are not the exemplars. These were pretty much the standard in size. They might have also been exemplars of their performance, but again, their body types and size were pretty much standards. Now, in physical culture, which is pretty much the forerunner of today's bodybuilding, except minus drugs, completely creatine included, we're going to have Eugene Sandown. Now, he comes in weighing around around 185 to 195, and that is a far cry for today's heavyweight bodybuilding class. Yet, have a look-see at his physique, gander at any of the photos, and decide for yourself, man, if he were only bigger, it'd be more pleasing to the eye. No, 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 no. Again, I'll put a link in there. You can go to the, the article. You can take a look at photos. You can just dial them up yourself. Eugene Sandown, you take a look. This cat looks fine. Now, keep in mind, Mr. Sandow was not mere show muscle. He could perform feats of strength and agility as well. The aesthetic standard of yore was assumed ability, not mere beach muscle. Use of muscle was the watchword. It was also what you could do with it. Sure, we all want to look good, but can you use it? Uh, our stand-in in boxing is going to be Jack Dempsey. All right? That's a name familiar to everyone who's probably putting their ear on this podcast. A heavyweight champion ranging in fighting weight from around 183 to 193. Again, a far cry from today, uh, many of today's heavyweights, yet does anyone for, uh, doubt his formidable punch? So again, we're seeing these top-end weight. That's not, these aren't necessarily big men. In wrestling, we have Jim Londos. And the puffery that often surrounds pro wrestling, he was usually billed as weighing 200 pounds. But athletes in the know who stood alongside him, men such as David P. Willoughby uh, asserts that the guy's weight was actually around 175 pounds. Now, Londo stood at a height of 5'8", and a gander at a physique. Willoughby's eyewitness estimation sounds far more in line with the truth. Again, there's photos in the links if you want to head over there and take a look. Now, the training arrow of the time, these old days of the old timers, was, forgive the word, weighted towards natural bounds and good performance weight. The lighter by current standards training arrow was nothing new to the minds of Americans who were still steeped in the frontier t- tradition. And so, in other words, it wasn't just the uh, the sportsmen that were thought of where light is the way to go. We're not all aspiring to be Chris you know, Hemsworth or, or, or The Rock or you know, whoever else is fond of uh, human growth hormone or needles. At the turn of the century before the one we're examining now, the 1700s to the 1800s, the voyageurs or the, the rivermen were considered Haas athletes, and they were often offered as physical exemplars and tail after tail of remarkable feat of strength and endurance. When frontier rivermen are portrayed in films in the 20th century, we often see them cast actors or big, these big burly Haases as if that was what it took to get the job done. In fact, smallness was coveted. Uh, it was a fact of economics, performance, car strategy. Roman canoes was valuable. 
It's also limited. Larger men ate up room for stackable profits of beaver pelt, so the average size was closer to the heights of 5'6 to 5'8, with weights of these people uh, stopping at around 165 pounds. So young boys at that time who idolized these river men often lamented growth spurts as it took them out of the range of those that they admired. Okay, This is a far cry from what we look at today, where you know, we just big, 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 big. At that time... Leaner and meaner. That was the goal. The training arrows of yore emphasize leaner means meaner, not bigger is better. Weight, be it muscle or flab, requires resources to move. Coke's law, man, requires energy to shuffle about this planet. Ounces, be it muscle or fat, still impose the same performance cost over time. So the performance car or my slightly chubby dog analogy holds. Even modern warriors know that ounces matter. Let's, uh, I'm going to look to one instance. I could do this all the time pulling military uh, references here, but let's look to a Marine, Owen West, the first force reconnaissance company to illuminate. Here he is referring to a swole Marine. Uh, quote, uh, he has sculpted the perfect build given our working uniforms. Like cops, it is protocol to beef up the biceps to fill out the rolled camouflage sleeves. When our Marines start pulling this crap, working on beach muscles for aesthetic purposes, Gunny and I run the extra meat off of them until they view the extra weight as a burden. Unquote. And you hear that? The beach muscle, show muscle, getting bigger to no particular purposes. So even here we know the leaner is meaner. The, uh, so what this says is we want to start at the cut. And what does this mean? This leaner equals meaner equation applied to combat sports of the old school thinkers, where weight cutting is often part and parcel of the game. Today, we think about fighters going to the weight that we know they kind of get bigger in between fights and they balloon up a little bit and then they want to cut back down. Or even if they're thinking, I'm going to put on a pack on muscle in between, then I got to cut this back down. Well, in the old days, formerly less ado was made about weight cutting. It is a work rate and frequency of fights and bouts. Services checks on in between uh, about, uh, about bloating. I mean, people were fighting more often, sometimes, you know, every week. And also they weren't do on this gainer thing where they're thinking about, I got to consume a ton of food to get as big as possible. These people were keeping it close to what their fighting was going to be most of the time. Fighters work closer to their natural uh, weight class simply because weight cutting steals strength and stamina and winds up being a long-term uh, drain on health. I mean, anyway, who's weight cut before know how detriment how horrible you feel but it's just not a good stress in the body and over time this accrues this is uh this is gonna be the same thing as yo-yo dieting even if you're just you know, uh, you've been fighting against the pounds for we'll say flab for some time same thing if you think you're ballooning up in between you know sucking down the creatine and whatever and then you know trying to cut back down this is akin to attaching a u-haul trailer to your le mans car between races driving around like that and then uh, constantly keeping that performance engine under stress and expecting it to still be top-notch each time you unhitch the trailer and required to hit an endurance track. Just over time, this is just causing lots of problems. So yo-yoing is no-go. Walking around with it all the time is no-go. So you want to start at the cut, and you want to live at the cut. Now, this training arrow is opposite today's beef up uh, and then cut down mentality. This was seen as counterproductive and health-killing. See, life like Le Mans is a long-haul event. It's a game of ounces or pounds where the, yeah, I'm a few pounds over, but that's okay. This may, in fact, matter far, far more than we realize. It matters in cars, performance cars. It matters in aircraft. It matters in elite ocean sailing craft. It matters in helicopters. It matters in spacecraft. It matters in all vehicles expected to perform. It matters in dogs. It matters in racehorses. It matters in athletes. It matters in special forces operators. It matters in us to keep us healthy and pain-free over the long haul. The forces we're carrying day in, day out are what contribute to problems that exacerbate down the road. So these things matter. Well, they matter for you and me. Every ounce over optimum, be it muscle or fat, requires uh, results in a net loss over time. 
The 24-hour period of Le Mans shows us that the time scales need not be a lifetime. We may be suffering net losses in the day-to-day that grow foreshortened with each day the overage persists. I'm going to repeat a portion of that and ponder it hard. Here we go. We may be suffering net losses in the day-to-day that grow foreshortened with each day the overage persists. We're not. We could be gout. It could be arthritis. It could be high blood pressure. It could just be the standard. Oh, my back aches. My feet aches. Uh, I, I mean, oh, my knees hurt. I've had a big squat. And we're not just talking flab or fat. Again, no fat shaming. They shame all. Being bigger than the optimums, uh, it could be a detriment. Now, for those who may be asking, well, what's a good target walk around fighting weight for my height and skeletal frame, Mark? We're going to address that in part two a little bit down the road. And it's got nothing to do with the dubious BMI scale. So you don't have to sweat that. BMI also ballparks people way lower than you think. And you think, well, I I can't do that. I'm going to feel drawn out and worthless and it's hard to maintain. Oh, absolutely. But we're going to use an old scale, kind of somewhat grid formula that you can take a look and kind of compare so you can ballpark and keep yourself in that spot. But I'm still going to warn you, that weight will still might be lower than you'd expect. I mean, ounces can impede in the short-term race, but they can also kill in the long term, and I'm sure we would all like to measure up. And the good news is it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to uh, starve yourself. I mean, uh, when it comes to chow time, I mean, I, I myself deny myself no dessert whatsoever. I have them practically every single day. And you ain't, don't have to hit the creatine. You don't have to do anything like that. There are a few uh, aspects of old school nuggets of wisdom that allow you to enjoy this Epicurean life and still get results. It's just seriously a few tips to the fuel, but you also got to do the unleaded work, and, and that becomes the rock of rocket fuel to burn up everything that you've uh, got going on but smaller is better it really means leaner equals meaner start at the cut live at the cut and again we're not talking flab we're not talking muscle we're just talking anything that makes this organism bigger than it needlessly uh is Anyway, if you like a, uh, that's it for today. We'll have part two. We'll get deeper into those numbers so you can kind of really get an idea off of your own height, weight, and frame, your uh, your current standards, and see how it measures up to that. Um, again, I'm uh, only addressing people who are, you know, standard folk and uh, drug-free, not uh, throwing anything on there to purposely uh, uh, jack up their size and body weight. That's uh, not where my interest is. So good on you if that's what you like. Look elsewhere if that's uh, what you're looking for. Uh, pharmaceutical advice, I'm not that guy. Uh, take care of yourself. Krill puts uh, links in there. Oh, yeah, extremeselfprotection.com. That's the website. Go over there, take a look, and browse the store if you want to start doing some of our unleaded conditioning or any of our old-school rough-and-tumble combat tactics. There's hundreds of uh, 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 <laughs> training products there. Take a look at the Indigenous Ability blog. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Like, support the podcast. Man, the algorithm gods are kind when you do that. Appreciate it. <laughs> Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, extremeselfprotection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages if you like music. Mm-hmm.